So have you ever ridden in an Uber, Ben? No, I have not. I have not Ubered. No. Do they even have Uber in Baxter Springs, Kansas? No, but they don't have one in Joplin either yet. No, there's no They don't even Ubers have one in Joplin? Joplin? I don't think so. I guess. I was going to say, if somebody had Uber in Baxter, it would probably, you know, it's like your cousin driving you somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's one Uber person and you're, everyone's, you're somehow related to that person. Exactly. Well, uh, Joplin has an airport and there are definitely taxis. So there's a demand mm-hmm. that Uber could exist. There yeah. are taxis in Joplin? Oh, yeah. There's, I've never seen There's one. at least one taxi service, <laughs> I think. No, uh, there, let's see. I know of two, maybe three different taxi services. Okay. That's typically when, well, I've used Uber quite a bit because I, we have cars that break down all the time. And all it's handy. All the time. <laughs> yes. I hate cars so much. <laughs> but uh, so I've used Uber fairly often for getting to work when a car's broken down. Uh, but also on trips, like flying places, using Uber to get to there from the airport to the hotel and back, that kind of thing. Uh, and one of those instances was, uh, this is a few months back. I took a trip to Phoenix for as a work trip. <laughs> and have we not told this story on the podcast? <laughs> no, we haven't. Oh, um, man. What were we thinking? I don't know. I, I don't know why you're saying we. This is my story. You're, you have no part in it. Well, you know, when you tell a story and I know the story, I usually end up telling it. <laughs> That's true. Um, Anyways, carry on. Okay, so I'm in Phoenix, and I uh, the, the trip is over, heading back to the airport from the hotel. And this time, I got lucky because I made some friends while I was there, and we shared what? the Uber. Josh made yeah. friends? Yeah, it was it was <laughs> new friends. And yeah, whoa, new friends. That doesn't happen often. <laughs> yeah. Yes, they're they're such good friends that I actually visited them in Dallas a few weeks back. Oh my goodness, uh, a couple of True. them that are from Dallas. Yeah, yes, shocking. I know, but we uh, decided to share an Uber from the hotel that we were all in to uh, the airport, and. So we're sharing this Uber, and the other people in the Uber are able to carry on the conversation with the driver that always happens, which was fantastic. Best Uber drive ever, because that's my biggest uh, complaint about getting an Uber is that I have to talk to the driver. Um, It's always, I'm not good in social situations like that with new people, one-on-one conversation. It's just, I don't like it. And so it always creates lots of anxiety. But in this scenario, they were just having the conversation all on their own. I was just sitting in the back silent. It was fantastic. But the conversation goes on. And uh, this, this guy, so he, the Uber driver, is super eccentric. Like, as soon as he pulls up, he's making weird conversation. He thinks he's really funny. And he's just very odd. <laughs> like, he was a super nice guy, but just really, really odd. Wow. And for, <laughs> and for a socially awkward person like you to say that, it really must have been out there. <laughs> <laughs> That's when you know it's bad. <laughs> yes. So really nice guy, but eccentric. And so the conversation's going on in the car and uh, the, the guy just starts asking, you know, so guys are heading to the airport. What a, you know, are you guys, when are you guys taking off? That kind of thing. And one of the guys that was in the car um, with us, he uh, just says, yeah, heading to the airport. Our flights are at several different times. We decided we'd all ride together, get there early. It always takes a while to get through security and that kind of thing. And the Uber driver's like, yeah, yeah. You always run into problems when you're going through security at the airport. It's always good to take a, you know, leave a couple hours to, to give yourself some time. It's like, there was one time, took so long. I was trying to ship my... <laughs> You need to, you know, not laugh before the punchline. So. I just know what's coming. It's so funny. <laughs> okay, so he says, I had this one time. Took a really long time because I was uh, held up because I was shipping my cat's ashes back to California. And, and he just goes on with this what? conversation. <laughs> just like it was no big deal. No big deal. And I'm just a couple of, <laughs> me and one of, the, one of my friends in the backseat just look at each other. And he's just going on with his story about problems with 
airport security and we're just like looking at each other because he just said that he was shipping his cat's ashes back to California. <laughs> like, whoa, 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 <laughs> it's whoa, like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. It's like, that's not a thing, <laughs> man. That's not a, that's not a thing people really? do. You just, no, you just said that <laughs> and, you, and you're acting like it's no big deal. <laughs> yeah. But he said that they, uh, they were worried it was some sort of like explosive. Oh, wow. <laughs> <The> ashes. <laughs> but they treated him super well and they treated the ashes very kindly. Well, with respect. that's good. So that's good. <laughs> ended up being a good experience for him. Oh, my him, gosh. But <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, you don't want to dishonor uh. a guy's cat. That's just not right. <laughs> uh. Yes. It was. I just have really so many questions to, about this yeah. scenario. Like, where do you get a cat cremated? And. <laughs> Why would you ship the ashes back to California? Did the cat have wishes to be yeah. to be sprinkled in a particular place? Like the cat had. Why is this happening? The cat had, you know, had a will made out and uh, its final sentiments, and uh, he just had to carry it on. You know, it was it was it was the only option, really. <laughs> yes. Yes. What do you guys? So it was an interesting trip. Well, let me ask you: What do you guys do with a dead cat? bury it <laughs> what happens what we do with the dead cat is my dad builds a box a little little two by four coffin that's too small just a tiny bit too small <laughs> and then you have to snugly tuck him in there and then you bury it uh, yes that actually happened last time that yeah the last time we had a cat that he, died, that's actually exactly what built, happened yes he built a casket for the cat <laughs> which is kind of funny in itself and we buried him out but, by Odie the dog Yes, but he built it slightly too small. Well, the first <laughs> one was so, a lot too small, and they had to build another one, and then the second one was just a little bit too small. Yeah, so, so he goes to put the cat in the gasket and has to kind of force it in. <laughs> <laughs> it was the most ridiculous thing. <laughs> and then my, my sister and my mom and I were all just crying, just bawling, just... You know, we've totally lost yeah. it. And then that happens and we have to laugh. Like you can't not laugh, right. but we're also yeah. crying. So <laughs> it was just, it was quite a day. Uh, I just imagine you guys standing around the casket crying and your dad's just like, he's got the, he's got the casket on the tailgate of his truck or something. And he's just, you know, elbow up trying to force it down. <laughs> okay. Not quite like that. <laughs> oh man. Uh, like. Yes. My uh, my boss, she has like a, a somewhat of a similar uh, hamster funeral story, where uh, the uh, the hamster. How do you build a box too small for a hamster? No, no, no. The box wasn't too small. Just about like they're out. They take oh, okay. you know they got so whatever they were gonna put it in, and they took it out and uh, yeah they dug the whole things and they're like well do we say a few things or whatever and. Uh, and then her and her husband just started getting tickled about just the whole situation of here we are <laughs> giving having a hamster yeah, funeral, giving last rites to a hamster <laughs> in the backyard. <laughs> and so they're trying to act like they're not really, you know, like they're trying to hide it. So then, of course, it looks like they're crying. That makes it even worse. And their son Tyler's just like, oh, I didn't know you guys loved him so much. <laughs> <laughs> And so anyways, um, one time, <laughs> tell this story here. One time I came home and it was like after school or work or something. I don't remember. And when I still lived with my parents and there was a box, I think it was like one of those old boxes that you would get. Uh, it was a, well, it was a checkbook box. So like that the bank would uh, put yeah. when you need a new checkbooks <laughs> and it must've been by the mail or something. And I didn't realize that's what it was. I just saw this box or I don't know, somewhere like in the kitchen, not like, Oh, what's this box? What's this about? And just curiosity or whatever, open it up. And yeah, there's definitely a dead parakeet inside the box. And <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, was not at all what I expected to see. And so, <laughs> That's not what you want to get in the mail. No. And so that gave me a little fright. Uh, yeah, no more dead pets. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're just doing good that I this, haven't started crying yet. <laughs> yes. This, this conversation kind of degraded very quickly. Uh, but yes. Okay. So this episode, we're going to be talking about speaking in tongues. Uh, before that, I'm going to tell you a little bit about our sponsor. <laughs> 
This episode is brought to you by Stokeshed. Stokeshed is a music and audio production house. Bobby has over 10 years of experience in the music industry. His projects include Foundations Church Podcast, the upcoming debut album by The Fairweather, The God Project with Joe Moore of The Real Life Podcast, and this podcast, Don't Be Stupid. He is a fantastic guy to work with, uh, really awesome. And uh, if you head over to stokeshed.com to request a quote, you'll receive a 20% discount on podcast editing and production if you mention Don't Be Stupid. Be sure and do it, stokeshed.com, and uh, get a quote. All right, so speaking in tongues, this is a... Josh, I was thinking maybe for the episode, instead of just talking about speaking in tongues, we should speak in tongues about speaking in tongues. Okay. And we'll leave it to the audience to interpret. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's an idea. <laughs> no. I'm going with... I no. sure. <laughs> I'm going to well, veto that all one. Right. Okay, uh, fine then. Carry on. <laughs> so to begin with, can somebody tell me what speaking in tongues is? Why don't you tell us what speaking in tongues is, Josh? Uh, hey, you're Mr. Already doing I ask all the questions. The what, what's, that, uh, what's that word? Uh, go, uh, the G word. Um, <laughs> I can't even think of it. Uh, are you talking about... Oh, glossolalia? Glossolalia, yes. Is that like Greek or something? Yes. Uh, okay. That's like another word for speaking in tongues, right? Yes. Or is it a word for languages? Uh, it's a... What does it mean? Okay. It's the word used when the... Well, like glossa is the word used when the New Testament says speaking in... The word tongues is glossa, and I'm not sure how all of the language works out there towards glossolalia, but when scholars are talking about speaking in tongues, a lot of times the term they'll use is glossolalia, which there's another term, xenolalia, which is also used, and okay, we should pro- probably back up. So Yeah, let's back up. <laughs> Come um, on, Professor Beck. Straighten us out here. Okay, so the New Testament, uh, there are occurrences of this in like 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14. It's where it comes up a lot in 1 Corinthians is because Paul is talking to the Corinthians about this gift of speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues is one of the gifts of uh, the Spirit, uh, like prophecy, teaching. There are lots of them that are gifts of the, of the Holy Spirit. And there's... Lots of confusion about what exactly speaking in tongues is, whether or not it's just a a tongue of like a language of heaven, or if it's a language that is like an earthly language that the person speaking in tongues does not know. But either way, it's a language when the person speaking it is not understood by that person. And so it's the spirit speaking through that person, um, typically in praise to God. And one occurrence of this is in Acts 2, or Acts Acts 1. Yeah. At Pentecost. Uh, uh, it's where, chapter 2. <clears throat> does it happen in chapter 2? Uh-huh. Okay. Anyway, Pentecost. Um, the Holy Spirit comes down. There are tongues of fire above the people, and they all start speaking in tongues. And in this scenario, it seems like the speaking in tongues is an earthly language, but not understood by the people speaking it because there are other people there who instantly recognize the languages spoken and they see, Oh, this person is speaking in my language and they understood it, but the people speaking. Yeah. And doesn't it say every person heard, like heard someone speaking their native language or something kind of along those lines. Yes. Uh, But there are occurrences in the rest of the new Testament where like in first Corinthians 12 and 14 and some other places there where it doesn't necessarily say that it's a language that is earthly. There's even a, I think it's the first part of 14, something like that, where it mentions speaking languages of men and angels. So it seems like there are two kinds. And that's where the second term, xenolalia, comes into play. Uh, when scholars are speaking of glossolalia and xenolalia, they're both terms referring to language and like speaking in tongues. <coughs> xenolalia referring to 
a tongue that is spoken that is an earthly language, but not known by the person. Glossolalia, just encompassing all of them, but mostly referring to unknown languages completely. So not earthly. Okay. Mm, okay. So that is speaking in tongues. <laughs> <laughs> well, there nice we go. job. <laughs> uh, I hope all that made sense. But now we know. That's one of the questions. Is is tongues an earthly language? Are tongues? Are is speaking in tongues? Okay. Done. Is the language spoken an earthly language that is simply not known by the person, or is it a, as some would refer to it, a heavenly language? What do you guys think? Or can it be both, just depending on the circumstance? Um, <clears throat> uh, I'm, I would think it probably could be either one, I guess. Um, it's like one of the things like Sam brought up it, you know, and when you're talking about Acts chapter two, it says at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. This talking about the, uh, the crowd there that it was there in Jerusalem. But I guess different translations were different ways. I'm reading from the ESV, but, um, I guess where it says like each one was hearing them speak in his own language or each was hearing this native tongue. Doesn't, it doesn't necessarily explicitly say that they were speaking those people's languages. True. It just says that's what they heard. Yeah. So it could have been the case that they were speaking in who knows what some heavenly language or some earthly language or whatever. But yeah, like this, that it was almost like this miraculous thing that what those people heard, they understood. So they, they heard Mm -hmm. this noise coming, they went closer and they understood these things as if it were in their own language. And so it's not exactly clear, I don't think, necessarily from that. But some take that as an example that it's always going to be like this earthly language. And so if you're just speaking some sort of nonsense, well, that's just gibberish you're making up or whatever. Um, I don't know that there's enough there that we could go based on that so far as to say, yes, it's always got to be an earthly language. That being said, I think, too, on the other end of that, people who take like what you were saying, Joshua, where Paul says, if I speak with the tongues of angels or of men, but have not love, Mm -hmm. I think we can take that beyond its context to say, oh, see here, see, Paul is acknowledging that sometimes the language isn't an earthly language. It's a heavenly language. And I don't necessarily think that's what Paul's getting at. I think what he's just saying, no matter what sort of amazing thing I do, if I do it without love then it's meaningless. Like that's the context of what he's saying there. And I think Mm -hmm. it's not entirely clear from that passage either that it's necessarily. So uh, I guess I'm somewhat agnostic on the question. Is it earthly or is it heavenly? And I kind of going to take the approach. The scripture is not. It's not clear. I don't don't think. Yeah. I don't think it's clear enough uh, to to come down hard either way. I think this because that's uh, chapter 13, verse one. And I think that it is talking about speaking in tongues. And even though it may not, and I think that a lot of what we see in real life when people are, quote, speaking in tongues, I think is not actually speaking. Like, I think it's them thinking they're doing it, but it's their mind making up some stuff rather than the spirit actually speaking through them. I think that happens a lot. I don't know that I'd be able to judge that based on any specific scenario, but. Right. Chapter 13, verse 1 is a follow-up to chapter 12 where it's talking about speaking in tongues. And it's telling us, like the end of chapter 12 is, and now I will show you the most excellent way. Like after it gets done talking about those gifts and talking about speaking in tongues, it jumps right into, this is the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, because love is the most excellent way. And I think it mentions that and is actually talking about speaking in tongues because that was the biggest problem in the Corinthian church. That's why he talked about it so much in 12 and 14. Right. And so, Oh, that's a good point. When he uses, I think the context he shows spends so much time talking about it. He probably <clears throat> is talking about that. Okay. never yes. mind. I changed my mind. Yeah. So I think that speaking in tongues can be either this language that is known on earth or a language that is not known on earth and is a tongue of angels. I think it could be either one, which is what makes it so confusing and so odd. Cause I think we, there can be, genuine scenarios of it that we see in real life but it's unless you're the person doing it it's hard to tell whether or not it's actually real 
because I think even part, if you are the person doing it, it's hard to tell yeah. whether or not it's actually real. I think so. But what we do need to judge it on is whether or not if it's in public, it has to, I mean, Paul talks about how it has to be accompanied by an interpretation. If it's not accompanied by interpretation, then it is wrong to do it in public. And so yeah, part true. of the thing is that it's so confusing and hard to determine whether or not it's real because it's such a private thing. Like it's meant to be yeah. a private gift to be used to praise God. And when it's used in public, it's supposed to be accompanied by interpretation. And when it's accompanied by interpretation, that's when you can know whether or not it's true and real because then you can judge it based on, is it glorifying God or is it not? Does it line up with the scripture or does it not? Yeah, I guess, um, well, to clarify at least my, my thoughts on, the, on verse 1 of chapter 13, um, I agree. Paul's definitely talking about speaking in tongues. What I, get, what I think, though, I think people get wrong in the point that I was trying to make, although maybe not very well, is just how and how they interpret that and what they what they think Paul means, or is it how how far Paul's meaning goes there. So even though he's talking about in the context definitely of speaking in tongues, he's saying you know he says you know if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, he's not necessarily saying that some of you are going to speak in the tongues of angels or that I've ever even spoken in the tongues of angels. But I think he's just going right. so far as to say, it doesn't matter if I speak in all these languages or even the, or even for that matter, the languages of angels, you know, you see what I mean there. And I think mm-hmm. it's, we, the, some have interpreted that and taken it to the point of saying, see, no, Paul's saying it's possible here. And I don't know that, that I don't think there's enough in that little sentence there to necessarily interpret it that way. Cause like I said, like if you interpret it this other way, which is totally legitimate in this context that he could just be saying, if I speak in all the tongues of men or even of angels, you know, like, cause like yeah. that would be even a whole nother level. Like I'm speaking, not, I'm not even speaking in this earthly stuff. I'm speaking in a heavenly language, but even then guys, even then if I don't have love, it doesn't matter. So like that's I think the greater point he's making there is about it all needs to be done in, in a love in the context of love in the context of building up the body and ministry. And so anyway, so that's the point I was trying to make on that. But uh, like I already said, um, and I think it, that we're all in agreement, maybe or at least Sam and I were in agreement on the point that I don't know that we get it entirely enough out of the scripture. But I think it is. But I still would go back to the point, And I think maybe I agree with you here, Josh. I don't think there are probably some people that intentionally fake speaking in tongues to look spiritual. And I think that was even one of the things, part of the reason why Paul is addressing the Corinthians here yes. about speaking in tongues. And I don't think he's just telling them, um, don't always be, don't be disruptive in the service with your speaking in tongues. You know, I think some of it is also probably addressing some people faking it to try to impress their neighbors and those standing around them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, although, in the church today and in charismatic churches today, uh, I think it's rare that people intentionally fake it. Like they know they're not doing it, but they're just making noises to try to impress people. Although yeah, it happens. Yeah, I don't think that's I'm terribly certain. common. Yeah, I'd say, yeah. And I'd say it's mostly rare. What I do think definitely happens is where people are having definitely an emotional time and maybe the, sp- and part of that could be the spirit of God working on them in their lives. And they believe that, oh, this noise that I'm making, this is speaking in tongues. And maybe they've done it before and they thought, oh yeah, that's speaking in tongues. And they've even been maybe affirmed by others. Yes, that's it. You're speaking in tongues. And then they think that that is it. And so they replicate that behavior. And when in reality, they're really not, but they believe that they are. So that like, that's what I think. I don't think they're intentionally faking, but I think people are doing that. And even though whatever those noises they're making don't sound like any language, it's very easy for them to go, well, it doesn't have to because it's a language of an angel. And so that's okay if it doesn't entirely make sense. Yeah. And so uh, I guess that's kind of part of in that whole context where I was getting at to where sometimes people aren't intentionally faking it, but in a way they are probably actually faking it. Although I am not going to be in the position of trying to judge and determine that. Like what situation Although, is what? No, not a chance. Cause how could I possibly, yeah. how could we possibly know that about? Yeah. But some may say yeah. it's presumptuous of us to even assume that that's really happening around, you know. Uh, I think it'd be naive. I think it's though, likely think- that it's happening in some cases, and that's about as much as we can say about it. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> so before we move on, um, Josh, why is the cat meowing? What does he want? Um, who knows? He's just meowing. Okay, he's well. just meowing. 
Yeah, that's what they do. He's speaking a heavenly language. <laughs> okay, so then, so getting past that point, yeah, he's speaking a heavenly language. Um, the, I get, I, well, I guess one more thing on that is even it, it, it would be hard to know or even to assert that if somebody's speaking in, you know, they're speaking in tongues, it sounds really odd or totally weird or like there's no way that's an earthly language. There's been so, like even right now, active earthly languages there's like tons and tons of them. a zillion you know a yeah, zillion very a zillion <laughs> yes, precisely. more than the number of people that are on earth <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um but there's all these languages that people use now that are you know that and so that doesn't even count like all the dead languages or like even like the ancient forms of like english has been around for a long time but english today is way different than it used to be yeah unrecognizable you know, compared to old yeah. english just try reading chaucer for a little bit and tell me how far you get <laughs> if you don't have a degree in English. <laughs> um, so there could definitely be a time where it's like that didn't se- that didn't seem like that's an earthly language at all, and maybe it is, you know. So I I don't know, but um, I guess moving on from that, there's the other point you made about okay. So let's say speaking in tongues is happening. Obviously, Paul addresses in any time it happens in a church or in a corporate setting. So if you're going to speak up for everyone to hear and you're speaking in tongues, then there has to be an interpretation that follows is what Paul says, or otherwise it's inappropriate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's one thing that I think is so interesting about speaking in tongues is that the Bible says so, so little about speaking in tongues in a private way, but he, Paul spends almost all of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 emphasizing how pointless it is to speak in tongues without interpretation if there's another person around. And I think it seems like uh, that's really the point. That's the takeaway here. Yeah. I think I agree. Okay, so should probably speed it up a little bit here. Ben's got to get out of here in a a little while. Uh, We've got some questions from listeners, actually. I posted on Facebook uh, a couple days ago that we were going to be talking about this topic, and if any of our listeners had any questions to send them to us to comment on uh, Facebook. So one of the questions is uh, from Bobby. It's, uh, it's from our producer. <laughs> so he, uh, Bobby says, <laughs> how do you answer those that uh, say that speaking in tongues is evidence of the Holy Spirit's presence and without it, you aren't in Christ. Can you be a Christian and not speak in tongues? Oh, man. I think He's going right for the jugular on that one. <laughs> I haven't, um, or at least I don't recall seeing anything in Scripture that indicates that every Christian should be speaking in tongues. Uh, there's actually Scripture that says the exact opposite, that not every Christian will speak in tongues. Where does it say that? Okay, so it says it in, where does it say it? That's a good question. Let me find it real quick. So in 1 Corinthians 12, 29 through 31, so it's going through all the gifts of the spirit and how they're used for the body of Christ and, you know, the whole section of the body of Christ, their mm-hmm. eyes and arms, and you guys are not each of them. And then it says um, in 29 through 31, it says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, but eager, eagerly desire the greater gifts. So what it's saying there is it's asking that um, rhetorical question, and the answer you can tell from the context is no, not all are apostles, not all are prophets, not all are teachers, not all work miracles, and therefore not all speak in tongues. And so that passage there talking about the body is that you have specific gifts for you to be used in the body. And some people are an arm. Some people are a hand. Some people are a foot. But not every person is everything. And so I think the same applies to speaking in tongues. It's a gift that some people have, but not all are going to have it. And so for a person to say that that is the only evidence of the Holy Spirit's presence, that's just utterly irrational and bogus because that's Paul is saying the exact opposite in first Corinthians 12 here. He's saying that not all will have these gifts, that they're apportioned to each person individually. And so these are all gifts of the Holy spirit that are evidence that you have the Holy spirit. 
And the biggest evidence that you have the Holy Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. So that's what we should be looking for <laughs> in evidence that you are filled with the Spirit is the fruit. Not trying to say that everyone is supposed to have these particular things. So yes, can you be a Christian and not speak in you... tongues? Absolutely. Yes, judging the, by uh, that list that you uh, just read, it, that would saying that if you're a Christian, you should be speaking in tongues would be like saying um, if you're not you know, miraculously healing people and you're not a Christian or right. something like that. And nobody would ever make that statement. So why would we say that about speaking in tongues? Right. The, uh, so the, um, the view, okay. So the Bible seems to be pretty clear that every single person who is actually in Christ has received the spirit of Christ, the spirit of God mm-hmm. in them. This comes up multiple times, you know, you t- no, you're not that you're the Holy, that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit, you know, talking to the uh, Corinthians there mm-hmm. um, about sexual morality. He also, you know, for each one uh, in, you know, Romans chapter eight, we see the spirit of God and therefore co-heirs with Christ. Uh, so this comes up again and again throughout the New Testament. Um, and there would be some that may say, well, you don't. The only way you know that you have the spirit is if you speak in tongues. So Josh, like you point out that scripture, but I think the, the, uh, counter argument that some would make, not that I agree with it, but would be that what you just talked about, that's what Paul's addressing about like the corporate use of tongues, but not talking about maybe like the private prayer language that maybe you would use in your own personal prayer life. But what he's just addressing there is when you address people in like a church gathering setting, when you address a congregation with tongues and also interpretation. Well, he didn't say speak tongues that are interpreted. He just said speak in tongues. Yeah, and there's no, he never makes a differentiation between public tongues and private tongues. It's just all tongues. Yeah, but if you do it in this situation, then this thing should happen. Yes. So is there, as far as you know, um, any evidence as far as the original language where he uses different terms? Yeah, that's what I was wondering earlier. Yeah. Okay. I would, I mean, I agree with you, but I just know that some make that argument. Yeah. Uh, he so, also says so, later on that he would desire that all do, but prophecy is more important. And so he even, in that scenario, he would be implying that it's good if everyone does, but it's not the most important thing that everyone does. And so yeah. that would imply that you don't have to have it to be a Christian. Otherwise, I think right. he would have said that. And I think it's a pretty, it's a pretty, uh, it's the more rare view um, maybe say the more extreme view that some hold that basically if you haven't spoken in tongues, you haven't really received the spirit of God. And if you haven't received the spirit of God, then you're not really a Christian. Uh, and I think, and in fact, another place people point to, to make that argument, although again, I think it's a rare argument, even among charismatic Christians is Acts chapter 19. Um, when Paul, uh, was traveling through Ephesus and he found disciples and they said to him, did you, and he said to them, so it says there he found disciples and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said into John's baptism, speaking of um, John the Baptist. Yep. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people so much about coming Jesus, blah, blah, blah. And then Paul laid his hands on them. The Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. So he said, you know, have you received the Spirit yet? They said, no, we didn't know there was a Holy Spirit. And then he lays hands on the praise for them. They do receive the Holy Spirit, and then they um, they speak in tongues. So this would be another place people point to. It's like, well, if you haven't spoken in tongues, you haven't really received the Spirit. I think just because that happened in that scenario where a person received the Holy Spirit and they started speaking in tongues doesn't necessarily mean that that's supposed to happen every single time. I think that's just one scenario and it's not, it's descriptive of what happened, not prescriptive of what should happen. And to interpret it in that way would be to use the scripture in a way that is not intended. Also, that's one of the only scenarios where baptism in the Holy Spirit happened apart from conversion. Nearly every single other scenario in scripture, baptism of the Holy Spirit was at the same time as conversion. And in the language used in scripture, it seems like it's, that's what's usually to happen. Like that's the normative. And this was a a weird scenario where it didn't. 
So I, what I wonder well, is, uh, based on their description of that, the, these people's, you know, situations, they haven't been baptized in the like in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. They've been baptized by John or in John's, you know, line, which was repent, make yourself a better person, not. Mm-hmm give your life to Jesus and sacrifice everything you have and take up his cross and he will make you a better person. So I'm wondering, like, are, do they intend to say that these people are Christians already and haven't received the spirit? Or are they saying these people had not not become Christians yet? Yeah. See, and that's one thing that I think is interesting too, because I think we, the assumption is they are already Christians because, um, Luke writes there, he found disciples that there he, Luke, found some disciples. But when you read on, John comes to, or Paul comes to realize that these men aren't disciples of Jesus. They're they were disciples, disciples of John. Of John. Ah. Now, John had preached, John had declared that there was one coming, yeah. but they had not yet encountered Jesus or the, the Holy Spirit, in fact, because they said, we don't even know there was the Holy Spirit. So as far as they right. knew, what John had been talking about hadn't yet come to fruition. And then exactly. Paul's like, oh, no. Yeah, no, John was talking about this guy, Jesus. Here's what you need to know now. And at that point, then they become Christian. That's what I think happens Yeah, there. I think you're That's watching their conversion experience. Yeah. Huh. So I guess to come back to, some would say that you need basically a, a rare, small percentage to say, until you speak in tongues, you haven't really received the Spirit, and so you're not saved. And as we kind of looked at, that doesn't seem to quite be accurate. The more common view among charismatic Christians who believe everyone should speak in tongues, all Christians, is that, no, there's salvation. And in some sense, you receive the Spirit then. But they would say, you know, you haven't received like the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And so there needs to be a second. It's like a secondary thing that happens post-conversion. And this Acts chapter 19 is an example of that here. Mm -hmm. And they say sometimes that happens pretty much immediately at the time of conversion, you know, within seconds. And sometimes that's maybe a little bit after whatever, but it, it should happen for every Christian. And so every Christian if they're going to be the best Christian they can be ought to speak in tongues and Acts chapter 19 is an example of that. And I think there's an alternative interpretation of 19 there that yeah. says, no, that's not really exactly what was happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I agree. I think pretty much every time the, the Bible talks about baptism, in the Holy spirit, it's assuming that it's along with conversion, not some separate event. And so I always right. assumed that that was an exception to the rule, but I think, after your interpretation there, I think that that's actually going right along with the rule. Yeah, exactly. Well, and there is no exception. And here's the, I guess here's the other thing. Charismatic groups, so take, uh, you know, what is it, Pentecostal or whatever, um, have taken the two terms, speaking in tongues and baptism in the Holy Spirit, and basically said that that's the same thing. Yeah. And that basically when you accept Christ and receive the spirit, that is not baptism in the Holy Spirit. The only way you know you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit is if you speak in tongues and you still need baptism in the spirit. And I don't see that in scripture. I, no. I'm with I don't you, understand Josh. that what at I all. See, what I see in scripture is that when conversion happens, you are baptized in the spirit. And that's what that means, baptism of the spirit, as the spirit of God coming and living in you. And every time Paul talks about the spirit of God living in Christians— being imparted to them, what he means is they have been baptized in spirit and that that was the thing that happened at conversion. Now, for some, that meant speaking in tongues. And I think very specifically when we look through Acts, there's a reason why there's an outward sign that was needed. And, um, but anyway, yeah, I just don't see that necessarily there's this, this, that the two are the same. And the whole idea. What is, what does, what is the great commission go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the Holy spirit. When you make a disciple and they are baptized, you are baptizing them in the name, in in the Holy spirit. Like that, that is what is happening. So Mm -hmm. why would we assume that in one situation, when it talks about baptizing, that it means one thing and that in another situation, it means that it's talking about something else. Yep. Okay, so quick piece of history, and then we're going to move on to the other questions that we got. Um, So the whole idea of the initial evidence of baptism and the Holy Spirit being speaking in tongues didn't even, wasn't even a thing, (laughs) uh, according to theologians, wasn't even talked about until the early 1900s. Like that was when that whole idea came about. And it was little local history for us there in Southeast Kansas. It was Charles Parham, an evangelist um, at the time, who came up, who 
popularized the term. that idea. Who, yeah, coined that idea. I mean, obviously, he believes that he found it in scripture, but he's the one that popularized that idea, and he was from southeast Kansas. Um, yeah, he's he's buried in Baxter Springs Cemetery. Yep. <laughs> I've seen the grave and yeah. his family's his family's gravesite there. There's other, like his wife and I think some children also buried there. Yep. So Baxter Springs, Kansas, he did a lot of his preaching there in Baxter and Galena and Joplin, and he uh, started the first Pentecostal church in Keelville. It's hard to say, Keelville. Yep. Interesting. Near. It's still there. Yep, it is. It's... It's a pretty small church. <laughs> it is but very small. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, we have some more questions. Uh, two more. So, okay, Ben, if you if we Fire run out of away. time here, feel free to okay bolt and we'll finish. Alrighty. Um, okay, so here's another one from Joe, listener Joe Joe Moore. Um, he says, "How should people respond to situations when the individual asks God to let them speak in tongues and it doesn't happen?" Do they miss out on the depth and intimacy of prayer because they can't speak in tongues? Pick me, pick me. Sam. (laughs) (laughs) So as far as that first question, uh, how do you respond when someone asks to speak in tongues and then they don't? Um, I think something we touched on earlier is an important thing to circle back around to in this context. Josh, you uh, made the distinction that speaking in tongues is a gift of the spirit and what we should be looking for in the lives of Christians is the fruit of the spirit. So let's talk about what a gift is. I mean, if you're, you know, family member that you care a lot about, your parent or your grandparent or something like that gave you this really, you know, awesome, life-changing, thoughtful gift like you would be so excited and you would be very thankful and you would make sure that you didn't, you know, just throw it away. But you wouldn't just go up to, you know, your grandpa or somebody like that, that you have a lot of love and respect for and say, and demand that they give you a gift. So why would we do that with God with the idea of speaking in tongues. Why would we say, I know what's best for me and I know what gift I need and this is it and you should give it to me. I think that's ridiculous. And I know that a lot of people don't mean to be doing that, but I think that's essentially what's happening when we're praying for a specific gift rather than God, you know me better than I could know myself and give me whatever gifts you think I need. And go just go from there and just be thankful and what is fruit fruit tells you what kind of thing something is like if a if something if produces fruit that is an orange you know that's an orange tree every single time there's no way that a tree that is not an orange tree is going to produce an orange and so the fruit of the spirit tell you what kind of thing something is because that's the way that fruit works so <laughs> <laughs> because biology so yeah. i think that's we should worry more about having the fruit of the spirit in our lives and just be thankful whenever god decides to give us a gift rather than be getting all hung up on them yep um i think it's important to remember i can't remember exactly where it was where jesus talks about how god is the loving father and he will not give you a rock when you ask for a piece of bread or a snake when you ask for a stick, that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. I think that applies to the gifts as well. God, God loves us. And so he's going to give us the gift that is most loving uh, for us to have. And his omniscience, his wisdom, and his love for us, he, he knows what's best. And he's going to give us what's best. But also, if you really desire that gift, I think it's perfectly fine to ask God for it. I mean, every once in a while, if you want to, in prayer, ask God for that gift, that's absolutely okay. He's a loving father. He's going to be okay with you asking. And if it's good for you to have it, at some point, he will give it to you. But right. I'm are, not saying we shouldn't ever ask. I'm just saying we should have we a particular attitude it. about it. Right. Yeah. We shouldn't demand it. Um, but also, I don't think you're going to miss out on depth and intimacy of prayer because you can't speak in tongues. I think that there's a d- no. certain aspect that it would be nice to have with speaking in tongues for people who... Um, have that gift, but just because you don't have it doesn't mean you're going to miss out on depth and intimacy in prayer. God is not going to keep that intimacy from people. 
just because. He wants to have intimacy with you. And so regular prayer and reading of scripture and that relationship with God can be intimate, even if you don't have uh, the gift of speaking in tongues. There are many other ways to do that um, other than speaking in tongues. And so, no, you will not miss out on the depth and intimacy of it. And it's okay to ask for it, but also don't demand it because it's, it's a gift. Yeah. I think the intimacy that would come from having the gift of speaking in tongues and using that during prayer is more coming from um, trusting God and using the gift that he's given you rather than what that particular gift is. So I think you could get just as much intimacy in your relationship with God if the gift is teaching and you go and teach. Yeah, I think so. But Paul says, I desire that all of you would speak in tongues, right? I'm not yeah. saying it isn't beneficial. I'm just saying. He, yes. He also said, but it's more important to love. And he would rather all have prophecy than speaking in tongues. True. Yes. He did. Okay. Um, which I, I guess. Want to throw that he out. says, <laughs> I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Yeah. Um, so the last question kind of gets at what we're, we were just saying. So we can just elaborate on a little bit. Uh, Joe asks again, um, what are the practical benefits within spirituality of speaking in tongues? You guys know what the practical benefits are? I think we were just saying that, Sam, that it's a, it's a building of trust with God, which yeah. can happen through the use of any gift that you have, building of trust with God. And I think if we're talking about speaking in tongues in the church, then the practical benefits are very clear because there should be an interpretation. And so whatever it is, is going to be, you know, a message from God that edifies the body. Um, I think speaking in tongues in a personal way, is going to be a little bit more ambiguous just because the Bible doesn't really talk about it as much. But yeah, I think it's mostly the benefit is that you are trusting God and using the gift that he's given you. Yep. Yeah. Okay. There's uh, I, it's also I guess if you don't know the language, then this is an opportunity that the spirit is basically giving you the words, mm-hmm. and so, um, and like that's what happened obviously on the day of Pentecost when the you know you had the the disciples there gathered and they start speaking the language that they weren't familiar with you know and so god was essentially the spirit of god was speaking the message through them so there's obviously a practical benefit there but in that particular circus that you did have and it, though nobody necessarily stood up and gave the interpretation of what was being said it was interpreted by many of the hearers so yeah. you essentially had right. tongues and interpretation happening because it was intelligible there. to them so that's yeah. that's the description that Paul gives of what should happen. <clears throat> yep. Yeah. And then, I guess finally, kind of addressing several of these questions, I think it's important to remember that there are many ways to experience depth and intimacy with God, but we also need to remember that as long as we're on earth, we'll always only be experiencing part of the glory of God. And True. not until the end, when we go to be with them, will we fully experience his glory and the intimacy that comes with it. So it's like we can experience in part right now in quite a few different ways and the many different gifts that he gives us. But we need to remember that we're not going to have that fully until the end, until glorification. And so um, we have that to look forward to, but also we need to use the gifts that we have right now to experience him as much as possible. Yeah. And, um, yeah, there's some that you have, like uh, like John MacArthur, for example, you know, wrote the book Strange Fire, which I haven't read it, but from what I understand, um, and even with the Strange Fire conferences, has a, said that essentially none of those spiritual giftings as far as prophecy, tongues, miraculous healings, things like that, uh, are at work in the world today, that yeah. they were only for a time uh, for the apostles, basically, and uh, imparted to others by the apostles. But after the apostles all died out, that that was kind of the end of it. Um, and I don't know. I, I guess I haven't read his book, but as far as I've studied, um, I haven't been able to find 
anything scripturally that really backs up that claim. Right. Yeah. That, ba- that that those things could not that those giftings could not still happen today. So I fully believe that people do speak in tongues, that they prophesy, that miraculous healings happen. Uh, and in fact, internationally with the church, it is most is most rapidly growing among the, the message is most rapidly spreading and growing um, it among those with a more charismatic theology in different parts of the world. And in fact, I can't remember. Uh, I can't remember who quoted it, but um, I think it's like particularly in missionary work among different um, denominations has said that uh, much of the world that essentially the assemblies that God could overtake as being the largest denomination in the world simply because of the growth that's happening internationally through um, missionary work. Because, and I think part of that's two things. One, it may be because of a more assertive missionary effort by some of those groups that take a less um, kind of uh, what you, inclusivistic or universalistic right. kind of theology, you know, where they think, no, people have to accept you. So they're making a more concerted effort. But also that, that message seems to be spreading pretty rapidly, that particular kind of theology. I'll have to look up and find... Uh, what what study that was that made that claim? Maybe we'll uh, link it in the show um, notes, Josh. Yep, if you find it, yeah, put it in there. Okay, if I find if I can find it. But anyway, uh, just saying, I don't. I, it doesn't seem to be evidence that actually backing up the, that miraculous things aren't continuing to happen in the world today. And I don't see anything scripturally, you know, to say that would be the claim. But uh, we kind of we kind of covered all the extremes on this issue, and obviously we haven't even exhausted the topic completely. <laughs> um, I think more could be said in particular on this idea of, um, you know, should all Christians speak in tongues? And what about this fact that it acts, you know, every time these people are converted and they speak in tongues and things like that. But, um, maybe we could, maybe we'll get some feedback and we can address those particular issues. Uh, yeah. but let us know. I think we kind of, if you have any ideas or questions or feedback or thoughts. Yep. I agree. Okay. Well, if you do have questions or want to, comment on this episode um facebook.com forward slash the dbs podcast we have a page there where you can comment uh but also the dbspodcast.com you can fill out a form there to send us an email uh that's perfectly fine as well and uh we will talk to you next week uh this one was fun so i hope you enjoyed yeah. it bye bye see you later